Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor Study. Perhaps you are personally going through suffering right now. Maybe you've got a bad boss, or you've got a difficult spouse, or maybe you've just told, been told you have cancer. The question we're going to tackle for this half hour is, will God use my present suffering somehow for my good? Well, I think of Jesus. Look at the horrible suffering Jesus went through, and God took that suffering and turned it into the salvation of the world. So I'm going to answer, yes, God uses all things, even suffering that we go through, even at the hands of evil people, for our good. So would you take out the Bible, turn to Mark chapter 14, and let's learn about Jesus' suffering and our suffering and how God promises to use it for our good. Let's pray first. Father, we pray for anyone watching this program right now. Maybe there's people going through intense suffering and they need to just get some comfort through it all and make some sense of it all. God, we ask you to speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is about to be killed. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 43. And immediately while Jesus was still speaking in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas, the betrayer, came, one of the twelve disciples, and with Judas a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Here's the first lesson for today. Men's evil plans are under God's control. The horrible arrest, beating, torture, crucifixion of Christ was all part of God's plan for our salvation. Years ago, I was in Duluth, Minnesota, and I went to a Presbyterian church. Now, understand, Presbyterians are supposed to believe in predestination. That's kind of their emphasis. This Presbyterian preacher got up that night. It was Lenten service. Uh, he was preaching on the crucifixion, and the Presbyterian preacher says, know for certain it was not God's will when he sent his son into the world for Jesus to be crucified. And I'm thinking, what? Afterwards, we sh he's shaking hands. I politely said to him, what do you do with Acts chapter 2, verse 23, where it says, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Yes, Jesus' suffering was part of the plan of God. I want you to take comfort in the fact that whatever evil thing somebody is doing to you, God can use that as part of his plan for your good. I mean, let's say that you just got fired unjustly, or your spouse treats you like dirt, or you fill in the blank. Are they sinning by doing all that? Yes, they are. Was Judas sinning when he betrayed Jesus? Yes, he was. But God can even use other people's sins to get Jesus on the cross to fulfill his plan for our salvation and to fulfill his plans for your life. 
Take comfort in the fact that nothing evil thing can happen to you apart from God's plan. This is the teaching of Job chapters 1 and 2. Read that sometime. An old Lutheran pastor said this once. This comes from Job's 1 and 2. No thing can come into the life of a believer without first going before the throne to get permission. I'm going to repeat that. Nothing can happen to you without first going before the throne of God to get permission to come in. I take comfort in that fact. There's an old hymn that goes, Though he giveth or he taketh, God his children ne'er forsaketh, his the loving purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. We don't like our sufferings, but they make us holy. God has a plan for them. I want to encourage you to memorize a powerful Bible verse, Romans 8.28. Here it is. We know that God causes all things, not just the happy good things, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Let me repeat that. We know that God causes all things, the crucifixion, your lost job, your miscarriage, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. Take comfort in that. I'll give you an example. When I was 18 years old, they told my dad that he had less than a year to live. And then I had to go to college. And for the whole year, every time the phone rang, I would pray before I picked it up. And then at the end of the year, I got the phone call, dad is dead. That was a hard year for me. But it was a good year for me. You know what that year did? It made me realize I'm really going to die. I better face eternity. I better get close to God. And that was a difficult year, but God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. So again, before we move on, if you're going through a rough spot right now, claim Romans 8.28 over that that God promises to use even that thing somehow for my good. Look at verse 44. Now the betrayer, Judas, had given them, the soldiers, a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when Judas came into the garden, he went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Here's the next lesson. Do you kiss Jesus while you betray him? What I mean by that is, do you pretend to love Jesus on Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week you're betraying him? I knew a man who lived in New Jersey, and he would tell me about the mafia in his neighborhood who were stealing and killing during the week, but they were in church for confession Sunday morning. <laughs> I remember years ago walking out of a college chapel. Before we even got out the door, the guy ahead of me turns to his friend, man, did I get drunk last night, starts bragging about how drunk he got. Do you kiss Jesus publicly, but privately betray him? Verse 46, And they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But... Let the scriptures be fulfilled. Here's the next lesson. Jesus' death fulfilled scripture. If you want to see the supernatural aspect of the Bible, read 
Psalm 22, written by King David 1,000 years B.C., before the crucifixion. It talks in detail about a man having his hands and feet pierced. They're casting lots for his garments. It's an incredible prophecy of the crucifixion of Christ 1,000 years before it took place. Or read Isaiah chapter 53 written 700 years before Christ, again talking about this man who's suffering for the nations. There is incredible supernatural things in the Bible that it, it must be from God. When I was younger, I, I started wondering about the Christian faith. I read a book by Josh McDowell, you might want to get this, called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, that goes through all the evidences for the Christian faith. It's rather astounding. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Look at verse 50. And they, the disciples, all left Jesus and fled. Here's the next lesson. You can't trust people. <laughs> the disciples had just said earlier, Jesus, we won't desert you, and they flee. Do you know that the Bible does not have a very high opinion of human nature? Let me read this from John chapter 2. Quote, Jesus, on his part, did not trust himself to people because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. I believe in a doctrine called total depravity, meaning when Adam and Eve sinned, they passed sin on to all of us, we're born sinners. Total depravity doesn't mean we're as evil as we possibly could be, but it does mean that we're totally depraved. Not just my mind got messed up by sin, my body, my emotions, my will, my relationships with others, everything totally got messed up by sin. Well then, Pastor, are you saying I, I shouldn't trust anybody? Well, I don't want you to be paranoid, but ultimately, the only one you can trust is God, because he's the only one who's perfect. Now, I mean, I, I will tell you this. I have a friend who... Um, went to a, uh, a job where he had to start using a, wearing this policeman's uniform. <laughs> and he said to me, you know, when people see me in this uniform, it's like they just, they're, they're rebellious toward me. And I said to him, welcome to my world. Because <laughs> when people see the clergy collar or a policeman's uniform, be because we're sinners, we don't like authority, nobody's going to tell me to do, a and authority brings out the total depravity of man. <laughs> Verse 51. And a young man followed Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth around his body. And they seized that man, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, have you ever read that in the Bible and wondered, what is this all about, this streaker? Well, the early church fathers believed Mark, Peter's secretary who wrote the Gospel of Mark, that that's Mark. And that's his autobiographical detail that he puts into his own gospel to say, I was there that night too. This is what happened to me. I'm the one who ran away naked. Verse 35. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And Peter was sitting there with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. 
and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. Here's the next lesson. One day the judged will be the judge. Right now Jesus is being judged by the Sanhedrin, and he says to them, one day I'm coming back in power and glory, and I'm going to be the judge, not you. So be careful when you judge Jesus. You've got to remember, one day he's going to judge you. There used to be this group of scholars, Christian scholars, called the Jesus Seminar, and they, these Christian scholars voted on what percentage of the New Testament quotes of Christ Jesus really said. And they came up with 10% of what the Gospels teach. Jesus said 10% is what he really said. Well, that group of scholars is now disbanded. Two of them are dead. And you got to know that when you judge Jesus like that, one day he judges you. Verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned Jesus as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Here's the next lesson. Christian, expect persecution. If they did that to Jesus and you're following Jesus, you're going to get the same thing. Jesus told us this was coming. Mark, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, the devil, how much more will they malign those of his household? 1 Peter 3, For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. There are still reports coming out of the Middle East of Christians who will not convert to Islam being beheaded. Christians in America, we need to be open to that too. My prayer is, Lord, if that ever happens, may I be willing to die for you. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came up. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Here's the next lesson. We know the Bible is true because it is so honest. Now follow this. Peter was the hero of the early church. If, you, if the early church is going to make up a Bible and t stories about Peter, they're going to make him look good. P 
Peter looks bad in the New Testament. The other disciples look bad. That makes it have a ring of authenticity. Same with the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament, the Jews keep coming off as really bad. They keep going after all these false gods and God has to punish them and then they come back. And Again, if the Jews were going to make up the Old Testament, they'd make themselves look good. They look bad. The honesty of the Old and New Testaments testifies to the authenticity of the Bible. Look at verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Here's the next lesson. There is a time for weeping in the Christian life. When you sin, you hurt God, you hurt yourself, you hurt your family and your friends. And when you sin, it's good to grieve over that. Years ago, I went to a conference in St. Louis, Missouri. Three-day prayer and fasting conference for our nation. Christians came from all over the country. I think there were maybe a couple thousand of us in this big auditorium. And for three days, we didn't eat. We drank water and such. But we just prayed for three days and fasted for America. And the, the highlight for me was when a woman dressed in black, wearing a long black veil, got to the microphone. And she said, let us get on our knees and grieve over America. So in the auditorium, we all kind of turned and knelt on our little chairs. And, and first, she said, let us grieve for the millions of babies we have killed in American abortion clinics. Next, let us grieve for all the children that have been hurt by broken marriages and divorce. Next, let us grieve over the child abuse that has taken place. Next, let us grieve that America is the number one producer of hardcore pornography for the planet. Next, let us grieve now for all the violence in the streets. I want to tell you, I don't cry much. I was crying. The whole place was crying. We were grieving over America. Listen, we live in a day and age right now. We need to be Christians, we need to be grieving on what has happened to our nation. With all the abortion, now gay marriage, 66% uh, of Americans now believe premarital sex is okay. This nation has fallen. We need to pray and grieve. One last lesson from this text. This is the good lesson. God can use you after you blow it. Peter really blows it here and denies Jesus three times. But after he grieves, he comes back to the Lord, and Jesus forgives him. And a few weeks after Peter the coward blows it, he becomes Peter the apostle at Pentecost, gets filled with the Holy Spirit. The rest of Peter's life, he's getting thrown in and out of prison, but he will not deny Christ again. And in fact, the early church history says Peter was crucified upside down, saying, I don't want to die like my Lord, I'm not worthy. So they killed Peter by crucifying him upside down. The good news is, if you've blown it, if you will do what Peter did and come to Christ for forgiveness, God can use you again in a great way. I mean, Judas blew it, but Judas never came back to Christ. Peter blew it, and he came back to Christ. And if you have blown it in some way, come to Christ, receive his forgiveness, and let him fill you with the Holy Spirit. He'll use you. I, I close with this. I make pottery as a hobby. So here's a bowl I made. Sometimes when I, I make a bowl, I put it in the kiln, it heats it up to 2,000 degrees. I'll bring it out, and then after it cools, I'll put water in it, 
and sometimes it'll leak. So what I do is I take the same bowl, I put it back in the kiln, and now I fire it to 2,200 degrees, and I bring the bowl out, put water in it, and it's fine. The point is this. Peter leaked the night Jesus was betrayed. He, de he denied Jesus three times. But then Peter came back, God filled him with the Holy Spirit, and the rest of Peter's life, God used Peter as a vessel for the Lord. If you've blown it, there's hope. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, my first question for you today is, how can God hold Judas accountable if Judas was just carrying out God's plan? Yeah, that's a hard question. If Judas was just doing the will of God by getting Jesus on the cross, how can God hold him accountable? And I think it's the same question because the same thing happened in the Old Testament. God raised up the Babylonians to punish the Jews. That was God's will because the Jews had got into idolatry. But then God turns around and punished the Babylonians for doing that. So what's going on? Well, in the Old Testament it says, but you did not so intend Babylon. In other words, the Babylon went after the Jews to destroy them, not because they were wanting to carry out God's will. They did it with an evil intent and evil motive. When Judas betrayed Christ, he wasn't thinking, well, here, let me get Jesus on the cross to die for our sins. He had no idea. His motive was evil because he, he came to hate Christ. And so because his motive stunk, he's still accountable, just like the Babylonians were. Well, and he actually sold Jesus out, too. For 30 pieces of silver. And you know what, Jackie? 30 pieces of silver was not much money back then. So we sold them out for not much. All right, you talked about being persecuted in that, and we know that there's a lot of Christians that are being persecuted, mm -hmm. particularly like overseas and even here. Yeah. What is there anything that people can do to help persecuted yeah. Christians? One place I give my money, Jackie, is to what's called International Christians Concerned or another good group is called Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, go to persecution.org or get their newsletter, it's free, but I get it every month and it tells you the horror stories of what's happening in Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, North Korea, and you pray for those Christians and then you can give so that their wives and children can be taken care of. So yes, there's things we can do. And the other thing we can do, because it's starting in America now, we can vote people into office that aren't gonna force Christians to be complicit with gay marriage uh, or Catholics making them to pay for contraceptives. You get people in office that'll protect our religious liberty. You know, Tom, when you talk about persecution, you know, I, I think I'm a Christian. I, you know, profess that I'm a Christian. But, you know, I'm afraid that if I would deny Christ if I was persecuted. Yeah. What? Yeah, and happen. you know, Jackie, I remember years ago, a dear friend of mine said, said that too. We were talking about the end time. She said, you know, I'm afraid if they put a gun to my head and said, curse Christ or die, I'm afraid I'd wimp out. And I said to her, me too. And that's why we pray now. Lord, if that day ever comes, give me the strength to die for you. Because on our own, we'll wimp out. So now we pray for God to give us the strength for whatever's coming. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, Do we go to heaven immediately after we die? Mm -hmm. 
I think we do. Now, there's, cause there's well, there, this is the question I get a lot. Do I go to heaven right away when I die, or do I sleep till judgment day? Well, your soul goes to heaven right away, I believe. But it does talk in the Bible about being raised from the dead on the last day. So let's give in my, my grandma Lowski was a Christian. I believe when she died, her spirit went right to heaven. But she and the other saints in heaven are waiting for the last day to get their perfect new resurrection bodies. I think the spirits in heaven are disembodied. They're there, they're real, they're alive, but they don't get their new bodies until judgment day. Okay, you just answered, because I was going to say, do we actually get a body in heaven? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Tom, persecution, when we hear about it, you know, you think you might be able to handle it, but no matter what you say, the fear of having to go through that mm -hmm. is beyond mm -hmm. belief almost. Mm -hmm. And that's why reading... Reading that persecution.org newsletter helps because you see that there are people that really are strengthened not to do this. And okay. by God's grace, I can do it too if it so comes. I hope. Tom, I have a question for you from one of our listeners that I think you might kind of think is kind of funny, but okay. I would really like to know the answer to it as well. Is there life on other planets? Mm -hmm. I mean, God created everything did he just put life here on earth yeah. or is there life otherwise? And the answer is nobody knows. And when somebody f finds some obscure Bible verse that has nothing to do with that question and makes it say, see, there's life on other planets, I'm thinking, uh, baloney. So Jackie, uh, I don't think we know. But you know what? Let's say we go to some planet and we find that there's living creatures there, kind of like humans. Okay, you know what I would do? I'd preach the gospel to those people. Because Jesus died for all mankind everywhere, no matter what planet they're on. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if you, we've talked about this before, but one of our listeners would like to know if you could share how we should glorify God and when we should glorify yeah. God. I saw somebody wrote us that question, and how do you glorify God in your everyday life? And this is what's called your calling. What you do, no matter if you're a Christian janitor, if you're a Christian mom, if you're a Christian uh, pastor, if you're a missionary, everybody's got a calling in life. And, and Paul says to the slaves uh, in the first century, do your work heartily as to the Lord, knowing that you will receive a reward. So no matter what you're calling, I mean, I think, Jackie, there will be Christian janitors who love the Lord and served him heartily who will have a higher place in heaven than Christian pastors who didn't. You know, so it's a matter of what your calling is and to do that heartily. Okay. Tom, we only have a half a minute left. Do you want to close with sure. maybe telling people what's going on? Yep. Hi, everybody. Go to Pastor Study, two S's, pastorstudy.org. If you have a friend that you want to see the show, but maybe they don't have cable TV or uh, regular TV in your area, they can watch all of our TV shows for free at pastorstudy.org. Pray for us. If the Lord nudges you to give, there'll be an address at the end of the show. But we, uh, we thank you for coming, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.